Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. They frequently run the play clock down a lot. In the end zone, touchdown! Jalen McMillan! 19 yards and the Huskies lead for the fourth time tonight. Michael Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback, 29-38 for 430. 30 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks taken in a game in which he ended up with his highest ESPN QBR number of the season in their biggest game of the season. On a scale of 0 to 100, he was a 97.7. They beat Texas 37-31 in the Sugar Bowl. That was the second of the two semifinal games on New Year's evening and New Year's night. Two spectacular games. Um, I think Denton, the number one storyline coming out of the two games, for me anyway, was the performance of Michael Penix Jr., in part because we're thinking, I'm thinking quarterback 
for Washington in the upcoming NFL draft. I was curious as to what that game did to his draft status. Uh, The latest Ryan Wilson uh, CBS Sports mock draft, which he put out yesterday, has – now, he's been a fan of Penix Jr., but he's got Penix Jr. now going 11th overall and as the fourth quarterback taken between behind Caleb Williams, Drake May, um, and Jaden Daniels. Now he has a mock trade involving Washington moving from two to one to take Caleb Williams with the Patriots taking May number two overall. Um, actually, I think he's got the Patriots as the number two pick. Uh, however it worked out with his mock trade. Um, but he's got Penix Jr. ahead of um, the next quarterback uh, he's got, uh, which would come in the second round, which would be um, uh, C.J. McCarthy. Uh, so let's start with Penix and the second game. What did you think is, of his performance? Denton it, does a college football show for Satellite Radio, Sirius XM. What did you think of Penix in that game? It was the best game he'd played in college, and he picked a really good time to play the best game that he'd played in college. He'd had a bunch of good ones, right? But this was an i this was an iconic performance, and I think even though so like you and I know what Washington was this season, and we watched a lot of the Pac-12 because it was the most fun and best league in college football this year, but I think there was still a segment of the population that maybe was not as aware with how good he was, especially because the the back end of the regular season, he had struggled a little bit. But I think what people saw is what you and I had been seeing for a while, which is this guy delivers absolute dimes. Uh, like the windows that he was throwing into with the touch and anticipation, he's the best pocket passer that I've seen in college football in years, in years. And I don't think it's, Uh, uh, all that close, continually watching him do this. I mean, Kevin, there were a couple of throws. It's just a flick of the wrist, and it's right on point. I mean, you you can't teach that kind of stuff. He just has a natural innate ability to deliver the ball where it needs to be. It was incredibly impressive. By the way, he went beyond 4,500 passing yards in back-to-back seasons. He's the first quarterback to do that in college since Patrick Mahomes did it at Texas Tech. So, The game the other night, I think the part of his game the other night that I saw at a higher level than I've seen all season long was his manipulating and his staying alive in the pocket, his feel in the pocket to create more time with a step here, a step up here, a step to the sideways there. Um, because there was pressure. Texas's front four is an outstanding front four, uh, and they did a great job up front, but there was pressure, and he did a great job every single time, almost looking like, literally, like a Peyton, a left-handed version of Peyton Manning or Tom Brady's traditional pocket in the pocket passers and doing what they did at the highest levels, which is create more time in the pocket. It's not something that a lot of quarterbacks can do, but he can do it. He did it. Um, it was impressive to see. You know, he's he's a taller quarterback at 6'3", 6'3 half. He plays tall with the vision. Um, you said something, and, and it was it, it, it's something that I think we've talked about at times when it's come to Penix. The, he throws the best deep ball, although Jaden Daniels is close, Denton. Jaden yeah. Daniels throws an incredible deep he, ball. He does a great deep ball, but Penix, the the accuracy with his 
with all of his throws is unreal. But the motion is a flick. It's really interesting. It it generates, by the way, very good, you know, quick release numbers, but it's a flick of the wrist. The interesting thing with the flick of the wrist release is that what we've seen all year with Penix Jr., and we didn't see the other night, is that he's been inaccurate on shorter throws. Um, and, th- you know, badly inaccurate at times on shorter throws in different games during the course of the year. Because we watched a lot of the Pac-12, we watched a lot of him, and not every game did he look like he looked uh, the other night. Um, here's a couple things I would say about him. The, the concerns about him have been, number one, the injuries, all right? He had two torn ACLs at Indiana. Number two is that he is playing on a team right now with two to three NFL wide receivers, all right? And yeah. and not only wide receivers, <laughs> one in particular who is going to be a first-round pick guaranteed. Um, and you're playing teams in the Pac-12 that typically year in and year out, and even this year, are not super strong defensively. Um, Texas is not a super strong defensive team. He will face the best defense of any team he's faced since he's been the starting quarterback at Washington in Michigan on Monday night in the title game, who he faced, by the way, when he was the starting quarterback at Indiana um, for a couple of years. So I am interested to see how he does against Michigan. But it's the two concerns, the injury, right, Denton, the injuries, and then the fact that he's got a group of lethal weapons at the college football level, but not just at the college football level. These guys are going to be pro NFL receivers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Roma Dunze is going to go. He might go top twelve. Um, top twelve. Polk's gonna, Polk could potentially be a first rounder at the end. Yeah, Polk, Polk could be one of those uh, those late first round steals, kind of similar, not directly to Justin Jefferson, but a guy that is picked late and then ends up having a really good successful career. The one thing that I want top that that does worry me at least a little bit. Now, this is a fixable thing if you have the right amount of money, Kevin. But the one thing that worries me a little bit is he's played in the same variation or very similar variation of the offense he's playing in now for his entire college career. Kalen DeBoer was the offensive coordinator when he right. got there in 2019, yep. and his fingerprints were all over that Indiana offense even when he left, which is when Michael Penix in 2020 had his best season. So my my lone issue with Penix is that outside of the knee injury is what would it look like if he comes to the NFL without Kalen DeBoer? Now, if we were looking directly at our franchise, head coaching vacancy going to come in a matter of days new owner that might want to take a big swing. And the thing about Kalen DeBoer that I think separates him from other college football coaches, particularly like your Urban Myers and whoever, Kalen DeBoer is much more of uh, getting the most out of his players rather than like a talent aggregator. He's not ruling with an iron fist. He's just a really good ball coach. So that would be something that I'd be intrigued with. If he plays in a, a similar facet against Michigan that he did against Texas, they don't have to win the game. But if he if he if it looks like he can do it against a great defense versus what he's been doing against good defenses or average defenses, I would at least kick that around a little bit and say maybe they if I'm Josh Harris, maybe I should take a swing at both of these two guys and then I have a duo moving forward for my franchise. What is Kalen DeBoer now? Is it eight and straight up wins as an underdog at Washington? Um he was uh the the number I saw was he'd been an underdog four times leading up to this game. So okay, now so it's five, five and zero. Yeah, five and zero outright. Five yeah. and zero as a outright winner as an underdog. Yeah, 
and certainly disrespected against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, no doubt about that. Um, look, I saw what all of you saw, and that was a guy that really can throw it and can throw it in, you know, the way he threw it the other night with bodies around him, maneuvering in the pocket, ball out on time. I'm just going to tell you, though, there have been accuracy issues at time with at times with him. Never with the deep ball. He has thrown, along with Jaden Daniels, the best deep ball of any of the college potential, you know, super high draft choices. I think it's going to be interesting. I think Monday night will say a lot about um, where Michael Penix Jr. ends up going in the draft. Is he Does he bolt up the board and end up being a guy in consideration, you know, for those top three, top four, top five picks? Does he, you know, move up the board enough to be a first rounder? Because most, most projections, most mocks, had him end of first or second round. I saw some mocks that had him third or fourth round. And a lot of that was the concern over the injuries. And again, he's been playing with an elite group of wide receivers in a really good scheme against teams that haven't been good defensively um, for the most part. I mean, I think Utah was, I think Oregon was better defensively, and he shredded them in the Pac-12 championship game. Now, specific to the game, so I'm Penix blew me away the other night. Uh, there have been things about Penix Jr. that I've liked, but I've also spoken about the things that I have not liked. He has not been my top three. My top three are everybody, you know, at least now, in some order, Williams, May, Daniels, based on what the due diligence kind of comes back in terms of what these guys are like. Um, but I thought he was sensational too, uh, no doubt about it. The game itself had a very fascinating ending. And I talked a little bit about this with Tommy on my podcast yesterday. So this this was one of those games you were watching. You knew it was going to be a, a, the mistakes. If if one team ended up with you know too many mistakes, it was going to cost them the game. And Texas had two turnovers in back to back possessions in the second half, and that completely cost them any opportunity. Really, in the at the moment anyway, to really win the game. Now they had a chance at the end, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but this went from, you know, 7-0, 7 nothing, 7-7, 14-7, 14-14, 21-14, 21 back and forth. And that's the way it looked like it was going to continue unless teams lost possessions to turnovers, which Texas did on two possessions in the second half. And they were devastating because that they then fell behind by more than one score. But they got it back to 37-31. Um, they held Washington to a field goal. Uh, actually, Washington's la- two drives before their final drives were not Penix Jr.'s best drives, in fact. It, it Actually, you saw some of the inaccuracies on those final two drives. But anyway, he had played brilliantly to that point. But to me, I wanted to just focus on what Washington did and what Kalen DeBoer chose to do, which I thought was a major mistake at the end of the game. So Texas kicks a field goal with a minute nine left in the game, holding two timeouts to make the score 37-31. Now with a minute nine to go and only two timeouts, you have to go on sidekick because if you kick it deep and you get a three and out, there's still going to be 
you know, like 15 seconds, 20 seconds left needing a touchdown. So you got to try to get an onside kick. They did not get the onside kick, and Washington recovered at the Texas 44-yard line. A minute nine left. By the way, I don't know if anybody else picked up on this. I did. I had Texas, by the way. Uh, I really liked Texas, and Denton really liked Washington. Um, He got that one right. Uh, He's gotten a lot of them right this year. Um, But um, I I really liked Texas. So my only hope was like a touchdown, a missed extra point, and we saw a lot of special teams gaffes in both of those games um, on on, uh, on Monday night. Washington 100% should have taken not necessarily three knees, but they should have never, ever put the ball at risk. They took, uh, what I was going to say is, they recovered the onside kick, Denton. The kick took place with a minute nine to go, and not one second came off the clock on the onside kick. I know it was recovered immediately, but the touch itself has to knock one second off the clock. But that's a really tiny nit to pick on, on, on the clock operator. Anyway, here's Washington with the ball at the Texas 44-yard line holding a six-point lead. Texas has two timeouts left. And you just have to be better at the math. If you're a head coach in this situation, you snap the ball to Michael Penix. You have him roll left and slide down. Make Texas burn one timeout. You do the same thing on second down, make Texas burn their second timeout. Worst case, you're going to burn three seconds on each play. You might burn four or five, depending on how quickly Texas's tacklers get to them. But if you just take worst case and say they burn six seconds off the clock, then on their third down play, which now Texas had no, has no timeouts, you do the same thing The play, let's just say, ends at a minute, and then at 20 seconds, you're punting the football back to Texas. After the punt, Texas is getting the ball with 15 seconds to go, 80 yards or more to move the football with no timeouts. You do not hand the ball off because what happened was they didn't fumble, which is always a possibility and the thing you want to avoid the most, but what happened was something that was very rare. Dylan Johnson, who, by the way, is an NFL running back. They also have an NFL running back on their roster, who was banged up during the game, got injured, seriously injured, on his third down run and handoff. And in college, in the final two minutes, when there's an injury, the clock stops and doesn't start until the next play begins. So that play essentially gave Texas a third timeout. So that when Texas, after the punt, got the ball back, There were 41 seconds left. There should have been 14 or 15 seconds left. And not only that, they committed an interference penalty on the fair catch, which gave them 15 yards. Texas had four opportunities at the Washington 11-yard line in the final 15 seconds of the game to win the game, which would have been a miracle win. I love Kalen DeBoer as a coach too, but that was a big mistake. Now, if they've got three timeouts, that's different. You're going for the first down. You're trying to end the game on offense. But knowing that they only had two, you can't risk handing the ball off. And then what happened was flukish, certainly the injury, but a terrible job by Kalen DeBoer at the end of the game, which almost cost Washington the semifinal game and a potential championship chance 
when they were the better team all night long. Um, the first game, Denton, really good football game. Really a good. lot of errors in the game. You know, the snappers, the the missed extra point, the punt fielding by Michigan, the, the uh, Alabama center and the consistent bad snaps back to Milrow, but still a hell of a football game. And I still can't believe at the end of that game that they the guy they put back to field the punt for Michigan, <laughs> I still can't believe he fielded it, A, inside his own five-yard line. He fielded it at the two-yard line. And then when he muffed it, it was an incredible job by him to pick up the ball and then stay in the field of play so that the game didn't end on a safety because it was so close to ending on a safety. Um, So there were some real – I mean, that's one of those in that particular situation with with Alabama punting there. Look, Michigan still had a chance, but you had to let that ball go into the end zone. Uh, But give J.J. McCarthy credit. Down seven, he drove him down the field, tied the game, and then Blake Corum was obviously the star of Michigan's overtime drive. And that fourth down, you know, quarterback draw that Jalen Milrow had that got stopped, you know, three and a half yards short of the end zone – it looked like a terrible call. What I don't know is, was there a check available on that play or not? I, I because, hope there was. <clears throat> I felt badly for him because he's going to be the Heisman Trophy front runner going into next season, and he improved so much, and he is a big part of why Bama got to where they got. Um, it was a bad ending, even though I, you know, if you were a Bama fan, you wanted the ball in his hands at the end. But, man, you know, there had to be something that he could have checked to because that had no chance. The snap wasn't great either. What were your thoughts real quickly on the two games? So there there, there were uh, two thoughts from that first one, right? One was validation because we finally got to see Michigan's defense dominate a good team. Everyone had been talking because you and I, at least me in particular, I've been really high on Michigan this entire year, but the pushback has always been, well, they didn't play anybody, which to an extent was accurate. But if you look at their first like eight weeks of the season, seven, eight weeks, it took them until October for somebody uh, to score twice against them. So as bad as teams are, the fact that they were just bludgeoning teams on a weekly basis was to me impressive. And we got to see them do it uh, against an Alabama team on the biggest stage, which I don't know if you've seen the ratings for this game, Kevin. It topped out at one point at 32 million. It averaged about 27, which for oh a college God. football semi is massive. That's like a national championship well, that, number. That, that's got to be the most watched playoff game ever, right? Uh, yes, yeah. It, it, well, I think actually, I think there was one in the first year of the playoff that did slightly better numbers, but mm-hmm. it was one of the one of the um, the two biggest ever. It was it was great. Well, plus you had a competitive game too, right? And we've had some blowouts in semifinal games with two two programs that garner a lot yeah, of, of interest with Michigan and yeah. Alabama. This yep. to me was Nick Saban's best job coaching at Alabama. What Good Michigan point. was able to do in the first half was kind of expose the flaws of Jalen Milrow. He couldn't see pressure coming. He didn't know where it was coming from, and hot damn is Michigan's defensive front. Great at disguising and then getting to the quarterback. What they did in the second half to make adjustments to stop dropping him back because he's been so good at throwing the deep ball. No they doubt. stopped dropping him back and said, hey, we're just going to let you kind of go out there and be a gamer, and that got them back into the football game. Even though Saban didn't win, they deserve a lot of credit for what they were able to do to make this close because Michigan, to me, felt like the better team from start to finish. 
so that's an interesting thing, and I, I wish I had mentioned it first because I, I, it was the first thought I had about this game and watching it because I was texting with actually Van Pelt during the game, and I said, if this weren't in the first half, I said, if this weren't Bama uh, on the other side, I would tell you that Michigan's going to win this game 45-10. to 10. They dominated the line of scrimmage in the first half of that game to a point in which the score at halftime, 13-10, to 10, was not reflective of how much better Michigan was in the first half. Michigan botched, muffed a punt, which led to the one Alabama touchdown. And they had sacked Milrow five times, I think, in the first half of that game. To your point, the adjustment of not dropping him back and then all of a sudden becoming more competitive at the line of scrimmage in the second half flipped the game. And then all of a sudden, Alabama was looking like they were the, you know, they took a seven point lead in that game. Michigan could not move the football against Bama in the second half until it mattered. It was a, it was a really interesting game, but Michigan at the line of scrimmage defensively um, is going to be the Penix Jr. Uh, real test. And then I don't see any way in which Washington, even though they've played better defensively here um, as as of late, I just don't see how Blake Corum doesn't go for a buck seventy five <laughs> in two touchdowns Monday he's, night. He's so good. His vision is incredible. Can I talk about one more thing though? Because this needs to be mentioned. Yeah. Michael Penix was great. I think the best throw of the weekend was that J.J. McCarthy throw on that touchdown drive. The one – I wish we could have gotten that a got speed deflected? check. The one that got deflected but still maintained a perfect spiral. I don't know yeah, if I've ever seen that. There was a little bit of luck involved in that. A little bit of luck, but the fact that he – I mean, he he threaded that in there. It looked like it lagged in a video game. Like, it literally just rose up a little bit. His receiver did a wonderful job reacting in real time, but I've never seen a, a ball get tipped and not at least flutter a little bit. Yeah, I'm not a J.J. McCarthy guy at the next level right now. And there's so much, you know, we just have to say this every time. We just don't know enough about these people, you know, and when and how smart and how dedicated and all the intangibles because apparently he's got all the intangibles. And you saw that a lot on that final drive. Now, he did nothing in the overtime drive. They handed the ball off to Blake Corum twice. Um, I just don't see him anywhere near the level of – Daniels, May, Caleb, or even now Penix Jr. I, I, you know, he, you know, he's listed at six three. He gets a lot of balls batted for a quarterback that's six three. I think he had three batted balls in that game. A couple of them nearly were picked off. Yeah. Um, but I know that the intangible stuff with McCarthy, the leadership, apparently is off the charts. Um, we saw him, look, we saw him have to deliver down seven to keep their season alive, and he did. And by the way, that was a late hit on him on the sideline. I don't know how that didn't get flagged in that game. But what was interesting about that game overall is how they let those two teams play, man. I mean, that game was officiated in a way in which they were not going to get in the middle of anything. I think there were five total penalties called in the entire game. That was it. All right, Ben Standing next. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 